the idea that unvaccinated players could come into town and as long as you're a road team play but home players it, it was just really inconsistent from the start and uh, i think the recognition of that helped push this thing through the new york city private sector vaccine mandate that there'll be the necessary changes perhaps in the near future that would allow Kyrie irving to return espn radio you're listening to ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and ESPN+. Plus. I am Chris Canning. She is Amber Wilson, and we are presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on Twitter at AmberW790 and at ChrisCanning99. And as always, tap in on the Candy call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And Amber, last night, Brooklyn Nets fans went to bed feeling some kind of way because their team lost 132-120. to against the Memphis Grizzlies without Ja Morant, and they woke up this morning feeling like it was Christmas because New York City Mayor Eric Adams rolled back the private sector vaccine mandate for athletes and entertainers that reside in New York City. And this is a situation now where we look at the Brooklyn Nets and we don't have to wonder when we're going to see Kyrie Irving as a full-time player because that order, that executive order by Eric Adams is effective immediately. So the Brooklyn Nets have nine games remaining on their regular season schedule. As, as of yesterday, Kyrie Irving was only eligible to play in two of those games. Now he'll be able to play in all of those games. The Brooklyn Nets are in that eighth spot in the Eastern Conference standings and two and a half games behind the Toronto Raptors for that seven spot. So it seems like they're going to be locked into the play-in tournament. But now we're talking about them being in that play-in tournament with Kyrie Irving as long as the game is not in Toronto. So the Nets fans feeling really good about their chances, their prospects of their team competing for a title this morning. This completely changes the landscape of the East as we head into the playoffs. You mentioned those seven games that they have, or nine games left, seven that he would have missed, six of those on their home court, one at Madison Square Garden. Now he gets to be available for all of those games. But really where this matters is the playoffs, because like you said, they're sitting at eighth in the East right now. They're going to end up somewhere around that situation, no matter what happens here down the stretch in these last nine games. But what matters so much, of course, is what happens during the postseason. And now it looks like Kyrie is going to be out there. And Chris, they're going to need every drop of that performance from Kyrie because even when he is out there like against Memphis last night we see that sometimes it ain't enough so certainly it's not enough if he's not available to them night in and night out but what a change this has been two days ago you and I were hearing remarks from the mayor of New York City Eric Adams and he was saying that the professional athletes are going to have to wait their turn and you and I said It's fine. That doesn't need to be at the top of the priority list of the mayor of New York City. We understand that he might not be so concerned about the status of a Kyrie. Well, apparently waiting their turn was just 48 hours. And now uh, with this emergency order, because I guess Kyrie Irving not being available night in and night out for Brooklyn is an emergency. But the truth is, if you're a Nets fan, it actually was an emergency because they absolutely need him in the postseason every single game in order to have any semblance of success. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And, Amber, you're absolutely right. They're going to need Kyrie Irving because the reality of this Brooklyn Nets team is they don't defend as well as some of the other teams at the top of the Eastern Conference standings. They just don't. Defensively, they're not where Boston is. They're not where Milwaukee is. They're not where the Miami Heat are. And so, for them, it's going to be a matter of trying to outscore people, and that's hard to do when you're just banking on having Kevin Durant. Now, when you have Kyrie Irving in the lineup and you see what those guys are capable of doing – 
I mean, last night, Kyrie had 43 and Kevin Durant had 35. So, I mean, those two can be as explosive as any duo that we've seen in the NBA, but they do have a significantly better chance with Kyrie as a full-time player going into the postseason. Heck, just even making it out of the play-in tournament to get to a real playoff series, I think it's important to be able to have Kyrie Irving in those games that the Brooklyn Nets would have to play in order to qualify. But here's Mayor Eric Adams at City Field during his press conference this morning talking about making it an equal playing field for New York City athletes. Take a listen. Today I signed Emergency Executive Order 62, expanding the performance exemption to private employer mandates. This is about putting New York City-based performance on a level playing field. Day one, when I was mayor, I looked at the rule that stated hometown players had an unfair disadvantage for those who were coming to visit. And immediately, I felt we needed to look at that. But my medical professionals say, Eric, we're at a different place. We have to wait until we're at a place where we're at a low area and we can reexamine some of the mandates. We're here today. That's a heck of a pivot in 48 hours, Amber, for the New York City mayor to switch that position. But it's clear that the lobbying from Yankees president Randy Levine and others around the city, citing the hypocrisy of the policy that was in place under then-Mayor Bill de Blasio, I think that public pressure is ultimately what got Eric Adams in his, in his, uh, I guess, his regime to move off of their position and decide that it made sense to allow Kyrie Irving, as well as all the other New York City athletes, uh, to have an opportunity to play in those home games if they're unvaccinated. Yeah, like you mentioned, this has Yankees implications, of course, before the start of their season as well. So this extends beyond just Kyrie. It's not just the Kyrie rule, but it's very well-timed for Kyrie and the Brooklyn Nets. I don't know what to make, though, Chris, of what happened last night, where you do they'll have those monster performances from Kyrie and from KD, where Kyrie puts up 43, like you mentioned. KD puts up 35. KD's averaging over 36 points per game this week alone, and yet... The only other player who gave him double digits last night was Andre Drummond. They end up losing uh, handedly to the Memphis Grizzlies, who didn't have their star player available to them in John Morant. So it seems like Kyrie being available isn't going to cure everything for Brooklyn, but I can't imagine what this looks like if he's not. And again, we're not in the playoffs yet. All of this changes when we get into the postseason. We know playoff basketball is built different, and guys like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, they're built for playoff basketball. No doubt about it. And it's kind of strange to look at the Brooklyn Nets record with Kyrie Irving at 8-12 and versus without him at 30-23. and doesn't matter what we've, what we've seen from the sample size this regular season. Everybody understands that this Nets team with Kyrie Irving is a significantly tougher out. And I think that's the part where you look at what we've seen in the regular season and you almost have to disregard it because I don't think it's going to be reflective of what we're going to see from this Brooklyn Nets team going into the postseason. And Amber, just think back to watching how teams have defended against Kevin Durant when Kyrie Irving is off the floor the last couple of weeks. Remember what we saw from the Dallas Mavericks where they essentially blitzed Kevin Durant as soon as he came across half court every single time, just getting him to give up the ball. And really, Brooklyn didn't have that secondary score that was able to shoulder the burden of managing the offense in the half court, creating opportunities for themselves and for others. They just didn't have somebody that could facilitate the offense outside of Kevin Durant with no Kyrie. So putting Kyrie on the floor and giving Kevin Durant that outlet is going to change how teams have to defend 
the Brooklyn Nets. And so it's going to be really interesting what happens in the Eastern Conference now. And looking at the top of those standings, you're looking at the Miami Heat, the 76ers, the Milwaukee Bucks, and I got to assume that none of those teams want to have to deal with the Brooklyn Nets team with a full-time Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant in the first round of the NBA playoffs. I've been saying this all season long because my Miami Heat have been atop the East pretty much the entire season, and the reward for that has looked like it is going to be going through the Brooklyn Nets in the first round, and that ain't a reward for anybody. I do wonder, Chris, too, when you were mentioning the records and we're talking about what Kyrie has meant to this team when he's been able to be out there and how they've handled it when he's not. I do wonder what it's going to look like with the consistency now as well because it has to have been difficult from a chemistry perspective and a rhythm perspective for everybody involved, including Kyrie and all of his teammates. And so now he'll be available night in and out for every game here down the stretch, down these last nine games and headed into the postseason. So they'll have a little time here to kind of get used to having him around all the time. And I think that that helps the Nets as well as they head into a first round, probably against a one seed. It it certainly is not a payoff right now, not an advantage anyways to be, you know, the top seed in this conference. And this is how it pans out. It's pretty wild to think. It is wild to think about that. That is Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up next, does the New York City vaccine mandate change make the Brooklyn Nets the favorite in the East? Amber and I'll weigh in, but first, a word from Indeed. Want to streamline your hiring in the springtime? Then you need Indeed, the powerful hiring platform that allows you to attract, screen, and interview candidates all from one place. To sponsor a post and you'll instantly receive a list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. Invite them to apply and you can even schedule and conduct interviews all from your employer dashboard. See why Indeed delivers four times more hires than any other job site according to Talent Nest. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. You're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Candy on ESPN Radio and E+. And Amber, Mayor Eric Adams has rolled back the vaccine mandate for private sector employees, specifically when it pertains to athletes and performers or entertainers in the tri-state area. And so now we got to ask the question, are the Brooklyn Nets the team to beat in the Eastern Conference? Now, on first blush, I have to say no. You know I'm going to side with the Milwaukee Bucks. They're the champs until somebody ends up beating them. But I will say this, the Brooklyn Nets are a team that nobody wants to play because at any given moment you can have Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant have an eruption for 50-plus points, and that makes this an awful tough team to defend. Wow, skipping over the one and two seed and just going straight to the three seed as your favorite, giving no respect there to the Heat or to the 76ers. I don't have a problem, actually. Well, don't, with giving... don't the Bucks and the 76ers have the same exact record? Well, they do. They're both sitting at 44 and 27. Right yeah. now, the Bucks are sitting at third. But yes, they do. And they're, they're right there neck and neck with one another. I don't actually yeah. have a problem with giving the respect to the Bucks. I think we've had the conversation before, I believe you and I have on this show, where it has felt a little bit like the defending champs have been flying under the radar all season, which is really weird to say for a defending champion, but they probably would prefer it that way. I know they lost to the Wolves the other day. They didn't have Giannis out there, so that doesn't matter a whole lot. Then they worked the Bulls when oh. Greek Freak was back. That is a very good team, and we know that team knows how to win a championship, so I don't have any problem with your choice. I do think the East is more than a two-horse race, though. I don't think this okay. is just Brooklyn 
or Milwaukee. I think that there are some other teams that might have something to say about it. It pains me to say that the C's look like they might be legitimately one mm. of those teams. They beat, what, the Kings, the Nuggets, the Thunder, and the Jazz this week. By an average margin, Chris, of 21 and a half points. I mean, these games aren't even close that the Celtics are playing. They've outscored their opponents by over 22 points per 100 possessions this week. That's nearly double the next best team in the Phoenix Suns in terms of the entire landscape of the NBA. They are dirty right now with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I hate to give Boston any respect, (laughs) but I absolutely have to give them the respect here. I think they could have a thing or two to say about a thing or two and then I'm never going to count out Joel Embiid in the season that he's had either I don't know what we'll get from a James Harden in the postseason I guess that's the question mark there with the 76ers but I did just watch the 74ers beat my Miami Heat the other night that actually happened really disappointing yeah it's got to be but uh your point is well taken when it comes to the Boston Celtics I want to say since the start of February this team is 23 and 4 so you got to put some respect on their name when it comes to what they're doing. And they've been one of the best defensive teams in the entire NBA. And, of course, they've got a tandem that's pretty damn good on the offensive end in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So I, I can't dismiss them, but with a rookie head coach, it makes it hard for me to believe that they're a true title contender. I want to say this is a team that feels like they're a year away from being able to really, really contend. They feel like they need some more pieces, some more depth. But when I look at the Milwaukee Bucks, there's nothing that they don't have. They defend at an elite level. They rebound at an elite level. Uh, the one thing I would say is maybe their perimeter shooting. Uh, they did lose some perimeter shooting from last year to this year, so you wonder if they're going to be able to have enough of that going into the postseason. But, uh, I mean, this is a team that has seemingly gotten better, Amber, and and they play with a lot more confidence. And I say this all the time about you know teams after they win a championship – Having the blueprint and having done it before gives you all the confidence that when you get in those situations, you're going to be able to perform, you're going to be able to execute. And so that's what I see when I watch the Milwaukee Bucks play. That's what I saw when they bum-rushed the Chicago Bulls and beat them by 30 the other night. That's a team that's supremely confident, and they know that now is the time to start playing their best basketball. So I don't think we've seen the best of what the Milwaukee Bucks have to offer, but the counterpoint to that is, We certainly haven't seen the best of what the Brooklyn Nets have to offer. So I think those are the two teams that I would say everyone has to contend with in the Eastern Conference field, and that's why I would say it's a two-team race. I still don't trust the lack of depth with the 76ers, and James Harden has got to prove it to me in the postseason before I'm going to believe it. And with your Miami Heat, Amber, I I hate to talk bad about you guys, but I just don't think they have enough offensive firepower. As much as I love Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, all of those dudes, I just don't think they have the firepower to contend with teams like the Bucks and teams like the Brooklyn Nets. It's been a down week, obviously, for my Miami <laughs> Heat. But Butler, Bam, Adebayo, Kyle Lowry, they've still all averaged over 20 points per game this week. So even though they have been dropping games against teams that have been missing their superstars, those guys have certainly still been putting up an offensive effort. But yet they haven't been getting the same production that they've been used to getting off the bench, and that has definitely killed the Heat this week. The Heat are a really hard team to figure out. I heard Stephen A. Smith say that the Heat could absolutely make it to an NBA final or the Heat could get their butts whooped and lose in the first round. And I think, frankly, that's even how diehard Heat fans secretly feel. It's hard to know what you're getting. And then we saw the emotion from the Heat on the sidelines last night 
point when they were losing to a decimated Warriors team. The one team we haven't mentioned here uh, in the the top tier here of the East is the Chicago Bulls. You and I have both kind of glossed over them. And you are right when you're talking about Milwaukee that experience never matters more than it does in the postseason. The Bulls are sitting at fifth in the East. They've been good and pretty consistent this season, but they've had a very big problem losing to the top tier teams. They lost to the Suns and the Bucks by a combined 55 points. It's those losses (laughs) that just don't give me any confidence that they're in a position yet you said with the with the Celtics, you thought they're like a year away. I feel like the Celtics are, are even though they don't have the championship experience, like they they've been in the league for a long time. They have some experience. Yeah. This this team here with the Bulls, that's the team to me that feels like okay, maybe we can have this conversation in another year or two. But it feels too early for me to really give them the respect for the postseason yet. Yeah, they don't defend well. They're twenty first in defensive efficiency and they're twenty eighth in three point makes. That that's not a good formula when you're trying to contend in today's NBA so yeah I don't believe in the Bulls I think they were a product of having a really soft schedule early on in the season and since things have toughened up on them going down the stretch you've seen the results with them catching a lot of L's so I think we can tuck the Bulls aside when we're having a conversation of true title contenders in the Eastern Conference because they're false flagging in that regard but we got to throw this question out there to the listeners ever are the Nets now the team to beat in the East with Kyrie Irving as a full-time player. Hit us up on the candy calling line, 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. Kyrie's first game at Barclays will be a hot ticket. Hot ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Visit visit Vivid Seats Rewards and get your ticket, two more tickets. Vivid Seats, life happens live. Let's go out to Daniel in West Virginia. Daniel, you're on ESPN Radio. What up? How are you guys doing? Doing pretty good. What you got for us? I just, you know, I'm I'm really high on the Celtics right now, the way they've been playing the last month and a half. I think that they're probably, to me, the second-best team in the East with Tatum and Brown playing lights out the past month and a half and their their defense that they're putting out every night. It's I've seen them beat some of the best teams in the past month and a half and make it look easy. So second-best team, Daniel, to whom? To me. <laughs> no, so I'm you're saying, the best I'm saying, team in the I, East. I'm saying who, who, who's the best oh, team? Who's the best Milwaukee. Team? Milwaukee. Oh, Milwaukee. <laughs> so there we go, Amber. Everybody seems to think that when it starts to matter the most, once we get to postseason play, that the Milwaukee Bucks will will rise to the top of the Eastern Conference. And I, I got to say, I haven't seen any evidence to suggest otherwise. Like this is a team that's as complete as any team in the NBA, and, and I feel like this is Giannis and Tenacupo. The, the development into a megastar in the league and trying to insert himself in the conversation of being the best player on the planet. I think that's where Giannis's game has evolved to, and it's exciting to see him develop a more consistent perimeter game to go along with all the other physical tools and the skill set that he has on the offensive side. So this is going to be a tough out. Like the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks, I feel like they're on a collision course, and I really don't know that there's another team at full strength that's going to be capable of knocking off either one of those teams. 
It's amazing that we're talking about that with an eighth seed. Like, that's what's remarkable about this. And that's the kind of respect that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving get. I don't know what to make of last night, though, since we did see them lose to the Grizz last night without John Morant, with Kyrie out there. It yeah. not always resulted in wins with Kyrie out there. I don't know what to make yeah. of that. But yeah. there's certainly a force in the East right now. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So we'll continue to take your calls on this subject. Are the Nets the team to beat in the East with Kyrie Irving as a full-time player? But also, coming up next, how does a second grand jury mulling over a charge against Deshaun Watson impact the future for Cleveland at the quarterback spot? Amber Wilson and I will break it all down. You're listening to ESPN Radio back after this. ESPN Radio. The Cleveland Browns are trading with the Houston Texans and acquiring quarterback Deshaun Watson. I am totally fine with putting this guy on board as your quarterback. I will root for this quarterback because I can separate the moral from the football player. Amber Wilson and Chris Candy on ESPN Radio and E+. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Are the Nets the team to beat in the East? That's what we want to find out from you guys. Hit us up on the Candy Call-In line, 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. We'll get back to that conversation in a moment, Amber, but we've got to take a slight detour because just when we thought the criminal part of the legal proceedings facing Deshaun Watson was over, we found out that there was a second grand jury that is looking into whether or not to proceed with charges against Deshaun Watson. This grand jury in Brazoria County, which is south of Houston, is considering evidence related to another sexual misconduct accusation against Deshaun Watson. Now, ESPN confirmed the information with Tony Busby, the lawyer for the woman that filed the complaint. The Cleveland Browns have acquired Deshaun Watson from the Texans last week, declined to comment, but a spokesperson told ESPN that the team is aware of a second grand jury, Watson's attorney, Rusty Harden, did not respond to a request for a comment. So we thought it was a bad look when the Cleveland Browns gave up six draft picks and paid Deshaun Watson $230 million fully guaranteed on a five-year contract. But it's actually starting to look worse now with the potential for yet another grand jury to consider charges, criminal charges, against Deshaun Watson. Yeah, and apparently everybody was aware of this. I was not. I feel like the reporting on this 10th criminal case has been a bit thin. Apparently, you know, another criminal complaint where they're pursuing charges of sexual misconduct. Uh, Deshaun Watson's attorney said that one of the massages apparently surrounding these allegations took place in Perland, which, like you said, is south of Houston. So that complaint, that criminal complaint was transferred to Brazaria County, uh, to the DA's office there. And so that was the 10th criminal complaint that, and that one wasn't handled with these nine other criminal complaints, of course, then in Harris County. Now, Amy Dash, who is a legal analyst and reporter, she had tweeted out that she had asked Rusty Hardin, who is Deshaun Watson's attorney, about this 10th criminal complaint potential 10th charge out there that she had asked before this news was handed down and that she was told by Watson's attorney 
that it may have been transferred to another county, but he was adamant that the criminal side of things was done. She said when I went on to question him again, he said that no one would touch it after the Harris County outcome. So I do wonder now if Watson's camp is a bit caught off guard that now they are facing another grand jury. But apparently, like you said, according to our own Kimberly Martin, the Browns were aware of this situation that there was this potential here for a 10th criminal charge because of this 10th criminal complaint that was out there against Deshaun Watson in a different county in Texas. Yeah, but it seems like it would be reckless for the Browns to guarantee that kind of contract to Deshaun Watson and not have the criminal proceedings fully behind the embattled quarterback. That's just something that, from a business standpoint, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I get that you have to do whatever you have to do in order to get Deshaun Watson, but to the peril of your franchise, I mean, your owner is writing a check for $230 million to be held in escrow and paid out according to the schedule on Deshaun's contract. But we might be talking about a guy that's not out of the woods as far as criminal charges are concerned. So for the Cleveland Browns to take on this kind of baggage – if they knew about it beforehand, they have to be fully confident that this is not going to move any further than the grand jury, that they're not going to move forward with an indictment on Deshaun Watson. I couldn't imagine the the, the optics on that situation, a situation that's already looked terrible for the Browns and for the NFL. If, for whatever reason, Deshaun Watson ends up being indicted by this Brazoria County grand jury, I mean, if you're the Cleveland Browns, how do you walk this back? How do you how do you put the spin on this and make it look like you're a competent franchise? Well, how could they possibly know what the grand jury is going to do? I mean, they didn't even take their time to speak to the alleged victims or to apparently speak to the alleged victim's attorney. So they certainly haven't spoken sure. to the woman who filed this criminal complaint in Brazoria County, nor have they spoken to her representation. We know that from the Brown side of things. So I can't imagine that the Browns feel frankly confident what evidence would be available in this case or what a grand jury would do. You and I have had the conversation before where I've explained that whenever you're in front of a grand jury, it ain't a good thing. If a DA feels comfortable going in front of a grand jury and presenting your case, that ain't a good thing because a grand jury typically can indict a ham sandwich. The bar is very low for grand jury indictments. Him to have gotten nine no bills was a big deal. It means there was probably a very significant lack of evidence in those other cases in Harris County. So we'll see if this is a different story at all in Brazaria County. We have no idea and no way of knowing that, but either do the Cleveland Browns. So now the $230 million question, Chris, becomes did the Browns put some sort of contingency in Watson's contract based on this 10th criminal complaint that we don't know about, right? Like we wouldn't have that information. Or is it possible that whatever specific charge could come from this? I mean, this is terrible to say, but it's not like we haven't seen guys be convicted of crimes in the NFL and still play. I mean, is it possible they're not concerned about that or that it doesn't carry potential jail time attached to it? So they're not so worried, even if he is convicted. But what all of this says to me that's so interesting about this now that we have this out there and and Tony Busby, who represents the alleged victim who filed this criminal complaint, is expected decision here from the grand jury in the next couple days. So we should get a resolution to this in the next couple days. But he also came out and said that he's been contacted by additional women who want to sue Deshaun Watson. That's his position. That's what he's saying. So I think he's suggesting they want to sue Deshaun Watson, new women, new civil complaints that could arise against Deshaun Watson. And then he said that he expects additional women to file criminal complaints against Deshaun Watson. We know now this has been 10 women that have filed 
criminal complaints. Obviously, there's 22 women who have sued him in civil court, and two of the women who filed criminal complaints against him didn't actually sue him in civil court. So there's a lot of room here potentially for more criminal complaints or more civil complaints to be filed. And what all of this means to me is what it, where's the NFL investigation going to go? Because the NFL doesn't like to have their investigation while uh, particularly while a player is going through a criminal investigation. Mm -hmm. Is is it just these 10 then? Is there more to this? If more women file criminal complaints, is that going to slow this process down even more where we're not going to get a resolution? I would imagine the Browns had to have considered all of this when they handed a quarterback, a free agent type contract four years, but before they would have needed to and making him the highest paid player in NFL history. And Amber, that's the part I want to lock in on with you at, because I think the contract makes this situation look that much more, I mean, I don't want to use the term reckless, but it feels like it's appropriate in this matter because it's a bad look for any organization to bring in Deshaun Watson with the 22 pending civil lawsuits that are out there. But then to hand him a contract for $230 million, how does that make things potentially escalate in terms of not only the PR nightmare for the club and for the NFL as a whole, but also with the legal proceedings for Deshaun Watson moving forward? Well, I'm going to give you a very honest answer, too, is that everyone just saw him get paid $230 million. That's my point. And yeah. if there are women out there that feel like they were very much wronged by Deshaun Watson, maybe they previously hadn't felt the need to file a criminal complaint. Maybe now they're more encouraged to do so, whether that's the glorification of Deshaun Watson, whether that's being, you know, obviously the ramifications of themselves feeling victimized by him and what they went through. And then, of course, we are talking about a remarkable con contract and very deep pockets and that definitely will have ramifications here in terms of these civil lawsuits anyways it does matter fine line between aggressive and reckless and unfortunately i think the cleveland browns might find themselves on the wrong side of that line so we'll certainly have you updated on this story there'll be more on this front but coming up next are the memphis grizzlies for real i mean seriously are they a title contender Amber and I will chime in on that. You're listening to ESPN Radio back after this. ESPN Radio. Wilson and Chris Candy on ESPN Radio and E+. And Amber, we were talking about New York City Mayor Eric Adams rolling back the private sector vaccine mandate that applies to athletes and performers, entertainers in the New York City area. And so with that, Kyrie Irving becomes a full-time player And of the remaining regular season games, Kyrie was only eligible to play in two of them as of yesterday. Today, after the announcement, he's going to play in all nine regular season games remaining and most likely the play-in games because that's where it feels like the Brooklyn Nets are headed in order to get a path to the playoffs. So with that being said, we got to ask the question, are the Nets the team to beat in the East with Kyrie Irving now as a full-time player? And we want to hear from John – no, I think it's Sterling in New York. Sterling – you're on ESPN Radio. What's up? Hey, guys. Yeah, I just wanted to chime in. Um, look, I'm a big-time uh, uh, – I'm sorry, New York Knicks fan, but I root for the Nets. I would love for them to be the team to beat, but we got to be realistic. Without Ben Simmons' defensive prowess and no one else playing defense, they cannot be the team to beat. They are not going to go as far as we'd like. I would love to see them go. They're not going to go far because they can't play any defense. That's what I have to say. Yeah, I mean, and here's the thing, Sterling. I don't think you're wrong. There are so many really good wings out there in the Eastern Conference, especially with those teams at the top of the Eastern Conference. 
if you don't have Ben Simmons, who is an all-defensive player in the NBA, I mean, he's all-NBA defensive team player, Like you got to have somebody that can slow those guys down. Now, what I will say is Kevin Durant does not get enough credit for how good of a defensive player he is, but with him shouldering so much of the burden on the offensive side of the court, and then, of course, with him being a little bit older and factoring in the injuries that we've seen him in postseasons past, I think it's a lot to ask him to be your leading scorer and to lock down the offense, the opposing offense's best player. So I think, Amber, when you start to weigh those things, the absence of Ben Simmons does loom large in terms of the Brooklyn Nets actually making a title run. I don't think Sterling's wrong. We just don't know what this team looks like at all with Ben Simmons. I agree with you. He's an elite defender in the NBA. Everything you can say about him and not developing his shot and everything else, that's all on the offensive end, right? Like nobody questions his defensive ability, and that's exactly why they brought him in in that trade. Now they're probably not going to have him, I'm guessing, at all this season. I feel like it's a wrap when you have a a ruptured disc, frankly. I feel like they need to just come out and tell us that. But also, again, it's not like they've been playing with him and they've been reliant on him at all so although you did see that they do have a defensive problem last night against the Grizzlies yes I can see where maybe it's business as usual for them they find a way to get it done it's not like they're used to playing out there with Ben Simmons anyway so he'd be a nice addition but he wouldn't be the only reason that they could pull this off ESPN radio Three-point line killed us, and a lot of that came from turnovers and offensive rebounds. You know, they they just outshot us tonight. You know, you got to give them credit. They're playing with a lot of energy in here, with a lot of confidence. This is the most together team that I've ever been a part of. You know, give credit to Brooklyn, Kyrie, KD, making all type of tough shots. Uh, you know, we weathered the storm and stayed with it and was able to get the win. Amber Wilson and Chris Canning on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Hit us up on the Canning call-in line, 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. Are the Brooklyn Nets the team to beat in the East? That's what we want to know from you guys. So hit us up on the Canning call-in line. But, Amber, what gets lost in the sauce with the announcement from Eric Adams this morning about the vaccine mandate rollback is that there was a team that actually beat the Brooklyn Nets in primetime last night without their superstar, and that would be the Memphis Grizzlies. John Morant did not play in last night's game, and guess what? They didn't need him because, as Kevin Durant said in that clip coming back, the Memphis Grizzlies shot the lights out of the gym. They shot 50% from three-point land, 19 of 38, and they shot 46% from the field. And then, of course, they were able to create 27 points off of 14 turnovers by the Brooklyn Nets. So this is a team that plays at a breakneck pace. They're top five in offensive efficiency. They're top five in creating turnovers. And they're top seven when defensive efficiency. This is a really, really good team. And I know they don't necessarily have the requisite experience that we would assign to a true title contender. But based on what we saw from the Memphis Grizzlies last night and what we've seen from them really throughout the entire season, it feels like... It's unfair to discount the Memphis Grizzlies as a true title contender. I just can't do it. For me, the West is not nearly as wide open as the East. For me, the West, it's the Phoenix Suns, and then it's everybody else. And that includes the number two seed in the Memphis Grizzlies. I don't want to take anything away from what the Grizz have done this regular season, including last night. No jaw, no problem. It's unbelievably impressive. But 
for your point about why you have the Bucks as the favorite in the East based on experience, that's exactly what Memphis does not have. And you and I already discussed when we were talking about the East how much experience matters in the postseason. There is not a single guy on this Memphis roster older than 28 years old. That's an unbelievably fun young team, Mm -hmm. but it's just too young and it's too soon for them to be ready to actually compete for an NBA title yet. I understand that they're like, yo, we're here and they absolutely deserve the attention. I just think postseason basketball is a whole different ball game and that for them to make an NBA Finals now, as great and phenomenal as John Moran is, and that dude is a bonafide superstar. He is on his way to taking over this league, but he's not there quite yet. So I'm not going to say that the Grizzlies are a true contender. This team was built by a 34-year-old vice president, Chris, and Zach Lyman. Uh, coached by a 37-year-old in Taylor Jenkins. This team is so young from top to bottom, which is a very fun story and a very fun team to watch. They're not making an NBA Finals. But, Amherst, here's the thing about being a young team. Sometimes you don't know what you don't know, and it's clear that the Memphis Grizzlies don't know that they're supposed to be playing this good at this time of the year and that they can be competing against teams that are title contenders. Like last night, the Brooklyn Nets had Kyrie and Kevin Durant on the floor. And those two guys, you know, they 43 points from Kyrie and 35 from Kevin Durant. So it's not like they were ghosts. Those guys were putting in buckets, but it just didn't seem to matter because the Memphis Grizzlies were going down on the offensive game and getting whatever shots they wanted. And that's the part that's probably the most impressive about this team, the pace that they play at. Right now they play fifth in the NBA in pace. And when you look at their top six scores – nobody's over the age of 26. So the guys that they're relying on are really young guys. And, you know, there, there's something to be said for that that youth, that athleticism, uh, that energy, and that, that confidence, that swag that they play with. And I go back to a quote that John Morant had earlier in the season. It was a couple of months ago as the calendar turned to 2022. He said, we're running up the chimney because we want all the smoke. That's the attitude that this team plays with every single night, and they embodied that last night in their performance without John Morant against the Brooklyn Nets. So I am i don't know if I can get down with your position of you know the Phoenix Suns and everybody else. The Phoenix Suns are going to be the number one seed, and we question whether or not that would happen with the Chris Paul injury. Listen, they're nine games ahead of the Memphis Grizzlies, who's the team in the number two spot. Right now, the only thing interesting about the Western Conference is is seeing exactly who ends up with that number two seed. Is it going to be the Golden State Warriors? Can they catch them with Memphis with nine games to go? Or is it going to be Memphis at the number two spot? I think that has major implications in terms of which one of those two teams is going to be able to make a run to the Western Conference Finals and have the opportunity to face off against the Phoenix Suns. Jaw's good for the quotes. He says, I ain't ducking no smoke when he played at MSG as well. He likes the bright lights. He likes the big moments. Again, though, it's just still too soon for the rest of that team. Last night, where is it easier to do? What is it easier to do effort-wise, shoot or defend? And the answer to that is it's easier to shoot. They're not going to put in that max effort. You said KD is an underrated defender. Those guys aren't going to put in that max effort on defense until you get to the postseason. That's the kind of thing that the Grizz will be up against. Yeah, so that's one of the things that we'll be looking at. Can the Memphis Grizzlies keep this up in the postseason? But coming up next, is it playoffs or bust for Tua?